Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here with my Free Zone Frontier podcast partner, Steve Krein, and hey, we Dan. have a fellow Free Zone Frontier collaborator from the program and strategic coach, Kevin Brady, who Kevin is not too far from me Hi, Dan. on most days, but we're both based in Toronto. So those of you who are just for the first time tuning in to the Free Zone Frontier podcast series, Steve and I have been working together for 23 years since Steve was one of the pioneers and one of the few winners in the dot-com revolution of the late 90s. Timing is everything, Steve. I think you would agree on that. Sure is. And then Kevin, I've known for a long time. Kevin, how many years in coach? 21 now. 21. So we got 23 and 21 years here. And Kevin started off with a major benefits business for corporations, benefit programs. And then I think really discovered your love in life, Kevin, actually working with individual corporate executives and were very struck by the fact that they had very, very limited healthcare capabilities available to them if they thought just in terms of the Canadian system. But even within the Canadian system, they didn't fully understand what they could get. So you became sort of a map maker and a guide to people who really wanted care above what was normal. Would that be a fair way? And then it stretched over across the border into the United States. Yeah, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, what we do is we help people navigate and find the best health solutions. Anything from I just need a doctor to I just was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, we grew initially executives, business owners, and then now corporations across Canada. And we've expanded now into the U.S. and next we'll be going worldwide with it. So, yeah. Yeah. Steve, I'd like just to kick off our podcast here because you've created what I've called, and you weren't disagreeable to my description here, the first completely entrepreneurial R&D lab for cutting-edge healthcare, both practices and treatments in the world, consisting now of hundreds of individual entrepreneurial company with a major funding, investment funding program that you've put together to actually give these individuals a track to run on and the capital they need to grow in many different areas of innovation. And before you get into that, Steve, I'd just like to ask you a question. What's this done since you've seen all these different types of approaches to breakthrough, what you call moonshot breakthroughs in terms of eight or nine major areas of healthcare. What's it done for your own thinking about your own personal health and what will be available to you? I think everybody who's listening would be interested in the overview that you have in maybe a unique way because yours is all entrepreneurial. This isn't scientific labs or corporate labs or government labs. You're talking about people who are actually planning entrepreneurial profit-making companies around breakthroughs. Yeah, I mean, I think for context, it's, it's, important to give at least address the metaphor of moonshots that we use harking back 50 years ago to when in a decade or a little less than a decade, the United States led a global effort, even though everybody thinks it was just a national effort, a global effort to land a man on the moon and bring him safely back to earth. Something that was seemingly impossible at the time. It didn't have the funding. It didn't have the collaborative individuals or organizations. It didn't have any of the technologies ultimately that would lead to being able to accomplish it. But yet, somehow, through collaboration, through funding, through real cooperation between individuals and organizations, 
and a consistent push towards one goal, it happened. And I think we use that framework to describe and address what we think is the moonshots of our time, which is ending cancer, curing disease, destigmatizing mental health, eliminating addiction, and doing things that, again, sound impossible today, but through the magic and the determination and the mindset of entrepreneurs, we believe that take this out 10 or 20 years and the technologies and the data and the solutions will be possible to make each of those statements reality. And so as we invest in a global army of entrepreneurs working on health moonshots, we see some incredibly ambitious, seemingly impossible ideas every day. But yet through the magic, I keep calling it magic because the magic of time elapsing, certain things start to emerge that make the things that these entrepreneurs are working on possible. Sometimes it's new technologies emerging, quantum computing we were talking a little bit about before we got on the call. Things that even a couple of years ago weren't available are going to make a lot of these moonshots possible. What I've definitely determined is that nobody knows what's going to work and what's not going to work. Mm -hmm. What they are all kind of rallying around is a mindset that if you're committed long enough, if you're collaborative with the right people, if you stay focused on not just the 25-year impact, but the 90-day goals you need to achieve in order to get there, then the seemingly impossible becomes possible. And so I'm incredibly hopeful, much more hopeful than I was even a couple of years ago, that if we can lean in and support the entrepreneurs, not just with funding, but with visible storytelling about the progress they're making, connecting them with the right Mm -hmm. partners, connecting them with like-minded other entrepreneurs like Kevin, like myself and like others, then we're going to be able to do this, but it's going to happen through collaboration, not any one company or any one organization doing it on their own. Yeah. And then just to put the focus back on you as someone, you know, you and Rebecca and your three daughters, it's a prime concern to you in terms of your own health and fitness. But what kind of really, really confidence building indications are you getting? And maybe one or two that would just be specific to talk about that from a testing standpoint, from a treatment standpoint, from a technology standpoint, that things are emerging. And you probably have as many cards in your deck at Startup Health as anyone in the world. I mean, I think you probably have firsthand knowledge, cutting edge knowledge, marketplace knowledge of breakthroughs that would not be available, let's say, to someone at the Center for Health, you know, the U.S. government Center for Health, simply because entrepreneurs have 90-day report cards. You know, the marketplace is a 90-day report card. So I'm just wondering what has really struck you, because I have some that I, you know, have just discovered within the last six months, including stem cell therapy and electroshock wave therapy, telomere testing. I'm down 12 years in telomere testing in three years just because of various procedures that I'm going through because, you know, I have longevity goals that make me very interested in these things. So I'm just (laughs) thinking from a personal standpoint. Yeah, I'll give you two very practical, like in the last week, things that have come up. One, it sounds crazy that it's even a breakthrough, but the idea that I can actually text and email with my doctors using a secure chat app and email without having to either go see them or even schedule a call is something that everybody does outside of healthcare every day. It's not a big deal, <laughs> but doing it with your doctors and your care providers is a big deal. So I've just noticed over the past three weeks in particular, 
as I had some tests done and some different dialogue with a few of my doctors that it was all done asynchronously. I emailed and chatted when I needed to or could. They got back to me. There was no scheduling. There was no visit. It was a completely virtual doctor experience. So I think that speaks volumes, A, that that's a big deal in 2019, 2020. But I think that the apps and the solutions that are coming to bear are really, I think, indicative of what we're seeing across healthcare, which is things from everywhere else in our life making their way into the healthcare experience. And so the same way we expect to watch television, what we want, when we want, how we want, and have a voluminous number of choices, why shouldn't we be able to do the same kind of convenient things, I underscore convenient things in healthcare? So one is just the apps and the technology that I'm using. One is called Conversa, which is one of our portfolio companies that just magically opened up asynchronous communication between my care providers. That was one simple, practical one. Another one is a really incredible, again, seemingly crazy that it's a big deal in healthcare, a smart pill bottle. I wish I had it handy to show you, but a smart pill bottle that is connected like a Kindle device. It's from a company called AdhereTech. And much like a Kindle device is always connected to the cloud, so is this smart pill bottle. It can tell you did I take the medicine? Did I take it at the right time? Where actually did I take it? And alert me, alert my doctor, or if I had care providers, family members that were watching out for me that wanted to know when I took it, how much you took, in either pill or liquid form. So a smart pill bottle, I now look at everything else in my cabinet as dumb pill bottles yep. that don't tell you anything. And so again, Seemingly practical things in my home that are making a difference. Well, the other thing is the renewal process. You know, I have a fair amount of supplements that I take and various chemical enhancers that I take. And I always got to keep in mind when's the renewal on this. You know, like if I have 10 renewals, well, that's great. But if I'm on my last one, then there's no automatic process. Yeah. This gives you that plus, and it's everything from reminders to adherence. And actually, two of the biggest problems I just mentioned, again, seemingly easy, right? Communication and reminders. Again, we have it in every other part of our life, but it has been non-existent in healthcare. And we're seeing the ushering in of all of these technologies from outside the industry make their way into the industry and transform it overnight. Yeah. Kevin, just in terms of what Steve is talking about here in terms of the problems of healthcare, it means there's almost an unlimited number of solutions that are possible because almost any one of them would improve things in some way. I mean, if you're talking faster, easier, cheaper, and more available, then all of these are really, really important. So what's your take on this? And thanks for sharing that you've got challenges of your own right now. So maybe you could just talk about that because I know you're probably getting the benefits of your own organization here simply because of a personal challenge. Yeah, you're right. I use the program. I mean, part of the program is we get to test all this and guinea pig, and I'm the guinea pig in a lot of situations. So it's real good. So, I mean, to Steve's point, I mean, virtual healthcare, I mean, that's a no brainer. It makes so much sense. And you know, I think of like, and I'll use the Canadian healthcare system. The reason there's so many demands on the docs in the Canadian healthcare system is because the docs spend their time giving prescriptions for routine things, you know, whether it be strep throat or flus or colds or whatever, and using virtual health. So we use a, similar to Steve, we use a nursing network for that. 
And then that frees up docs to do what they do best. And if you talk to a good doc, the reason they went to medical school was to really to help people with serious health issues, right? So I think when I look at it, you know, what I see is the healthcare system changing for the better. And I believe we're changing the healthcare model in Canada because of things like virtual healthcare, right? And changing the system, which is great. But personally, I mean, again, I get to use a lot of these things. So a couple of things that have come to light that I, through other tests, I never realized, but one of the ones I just went through, and again, my longevity goal is to live to 138, but one of the tests I just had was my vascular health. So my vascular health is actually 10 years younger than I am. So that's very positive. But on the other side of that, it showed that I have soft plaque buildup in my arteries, which I've never been told. I've done body scans. I've done every test you can possibly get. And I've never had any that come up before. So again, through supplements and some of the things we're doing, confident that I'll be able to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, something like that, because you'd rather know about it now than know about it down the road. Another one, this is really interesting. So I get my PSA tested all the time, along with all my other blood tests. So my PSA has always been really low, like no issues, no issues, no issues. Again, the last test I had it done through a clinic down in the US, through another New Frontier member, it showed a different type of test on my prostate, showed that something showed up. So then we arranged, or I arranged for an MRI on my prostate. Again, something showed up. So I just did a blood test that now is going to a specialized clinic in Europe. Mm -hmm. And from my understanding, it's the only place in the world that will be able to determine whether they actually have cancer cells Mm -hmm. in my body. And the good thing is with prostate, you'd rather know now than 30 years from now, Yeah, right? And you can do something about it. Yeah, and I had uh, an encounter of the close kind with that three years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> you know that. And yeah. interestingly, a full-body MRI missed it. Yeah. Fortunately, I had a PSA test about six weeks after, and the PSA caught something that the MRI, full-body MRI, didn't catch, and we were able to get in early. And in the final analysis... I had wonderful, wonderful care in Chicago at Northwestern University Hospital. Edward Schaefer is the doctor, just probably the greatest communicating doctor that I've ever met in my life. And he's the head of the urology department at Northwestern University Hospital. And that's our centers for BABSME because we're in two systems. We're in the Canadian system and, you know, when we're in the States, we're in the American system. But the thing about this is, and I'd like to go back to Steve's point, is that Probably education and healthcare are the two most antiquated general industry areas in the United States. If corporations and the way they do logistics and transportation and how they hire and you know how they manage and everything are in the 21st century, I would say that healthcare and education are still in the latter part of the industrial age. It's like shift work, it's like dock work, it's like assembly line work, and it's very, very impersonal and very, very inflexible still. And I think the reason is because of the existence of enormous government-granted monopolies. Mm -hmm. Steve, I think your model of creating a totally entrepreneurial R&D lab, you know, and you're doing it for your own reasons and you're excited about your own progress and everything. But I think it's just the marketplace responsiveness that entrepreneurs have as opposed to government granted and government enforced monopolies yeah. that actually cuts down it's on It's a combination though of it's government and the business models 
not just of the government regulated areas, but just overall, the way the money flows and the way people who pay for the care and the people who receive it and the people who approve the paying of it and all the things down the line, they're all designed, regulatory aside, they're all designed ultimately to prevent a lot of the innovation that is disrupted or has transformed other industries. So it's not that different than when an Uber and Lyft try to go into a city and the regulatory bodies get involved, but more importantly, sort of the private companies and all the other kind of organizations that are making a lot of money from Mm -hmm. it, right? And so if you go into the hospital and you're in the care of any great hospital, even in New York City, mm-hmm. it's kind of really depressing within a matter of hours to see how dysfunctional these organizations operate, even the best well-intentioned organizations that have plenty of money because they're not embracing any of the innovation or any of that because of the minutia in order for this innovation to get commercialized and make its way into the stream. So I think it's going to take a long time. But I absolutely am convinced, especially after we're going to our ninth year of doing startup health, that it's going to be an entrepreneurial-led revolution with consumers or patients and families linked arm in arm with them. And it's not going to be led by the big companies. It's no different than pretending that ABC or NBC or CBS would lead us to streaming <laughs> content. And we had to have Netflix and you know, a completely different business model kind of upend it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm bullish long a little concern short-term for the misunderstanding that you can collaborate with some of these big organizations at scale and that they're long-term incentivized to do what the entrepreneurs are incentivized to do, which is improve productivity, improve, bring innovation to market and actually make an impact on people's lives. Yeah. Well, one of the things, you know, and it shows you how just a decision on high can really make difference. And I don't know if you really caught this, but I have the press conference where Trump issued a executive order, which means it's in effect immediately, but only until the election. So executive orders and executive memos from the president have the effect of law. But right now, it doesn't really matter that much because we're into the election season, so nothing is going to make big. And he just dropped it in the middle of a press conference, and it was that he was issuing an executive order that all hospitals and insurance companies had to reveal completely transparently the agreed-on price that they were charging customers. And I have to tell you, I said, that was about 35 seconds, and I said the implications of this are profound because the pricing mechanism of the marketplace is the highest form of superintelligence on the planet, and it's... What are people willing to pay for? But for the most part, in the Canadian system, there's complete lack of transparency about what anything costs. And in the United States, there's limited. There's very, very minimal. I know David Berg, another member of our you know, Free Zone Frontier program in Strategic Coach, actually has a backdoor way of establishing prices in any of the market areas here. But when you give people a choice about prices and then competition can happen in the normal entrepreneurial way on price, you know, you can produce higher quality for a lower price or faster, you can make it easier. So my feeling is that that's just a kind of an indication. And my sense is we'll see this again in the campaign, Yeah, that this will become one of his messages yeah. for re-election is that this is what we're going to do. Yeah. I was looking for the headline that I saw about a day, not even a day after 
hospitals pledged to fight the Trump administration price transparency plan yeah. in court. Well, I would be disappointed if they weren't. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. But at the core, yeah, my statement a moment ago related to that was this notion of these organizations are dysfunctional. Many of them have really well-intentioned CEOs and leadership. Once you get into the belly of the beast of a lot of them, or I would even go as far as to say most of them, they're still innovation resistant. Not in the spirit of caring about and under the spirit, which they allude to, which yep. is you've got to be safe and it's got to be vetted. Even when you bring them vetted, even when you bring them FDA approved, even then when you bring them things they should be testing or trying, it's just not in the way their cycles of even going to work and spending 12 hours a day and shifts are set up. So as soon as you add less productivity to what they think is going to happen, it's a big kryptonite move for them. Well, I think what we'll do with the podcast is we've sort of laid the groundwork here with Kevin and you, Steve, actually giving the framework for how two entrepreneurs, strategic coach entrepreneurs, are approaching this. And we actually have a critical mass in the free zone frontier. If I had to pick one industry where we seem to be seeing more innovative collaboration, it's in the healthcare. So I think we probably have good yeah. eight or yeah, nine, I 10 agree. of our yeah. entrepreneurs. And you all started from a different, you know, actual first company, first entrepreneurial company basis. When you first became an entrepreneur, you all started someplace different, but there's kind of like this magnet to the center of healthcare. And I think the reason is because virtually every other human issue overlaps in healthcare, moral issues, political issues, cultural issues, social issues, almost every single quality of life, quantity of life issue actually, it's like a Venn diagram. Everybody's got their own circle, but where do they all merge? And I think it's in the center in healthcare and healthiness leading a longer, healthier life with a sense of confidence that you're being served in the best possible way. Yeah, I want to thread together one thing that I don't think we doubled down or tripled down enough on around collaboration and the free zone frontier model, because I think that it's the one industry that is going to benefit the most from the collaborative approach with people who share the same mindset. And so just as a thread to think about how the collaboration between, I love how you call them simplifiers and multipliers how collaboration between people and organizations working towards the same goal can find a common ground to contribute their unique ability to the ultimate impact that they're trying to make in healthcare, I think is littered with big problems that will only be solved through good collaboration. Innovator collaboration. Yeah, I believe so. Kevin? Yeah, just to follow up on that, I mean, David Berg and I were sitting together at their last session, and when we went through the multiplier simplifier, you know, he turned to me and he said, You're a multiplier. And I said, And you're a simplifier. And, you know, to Steve's point, I mean, we've now collaborated. They're now looking after all our Canadian customers that are snowbirds, that are traveling, that are down in Florida this week in terms of healthcare and navigation, because they do what we do in Canada, and we vice versa are looking after all their U.S. customers, right? So it's a simple collaboration. Yeah, and each of you just has to do what you were doing anyway. Exactly. Yeah, it's That's just so an agreement. Simple. It's just an agreement. Our agreement was a handshake. <laughs> yeah, well, I say that, you know, if a lawyer and a contract is required, probably it's too complicated. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> but you're probably not intending collaboration if those two things are 
are needed. So I'm just going to close off this one because we laid a lot of groundwork, but in the next podcast, I'd like to just go through a five-step process of how these collaborations seem to always happen when they work. So I'm just going to walk you through, and then we'll just stop whenever you want to stop, and we'll talk about it, and you'll talk about your own experience, but we'll have a model And as a part of this podcast, we will have the downloads of the two documents that I'm using. So anyone who's listening to the next podcast will get the actual downloads, but you have to tune in. So, Steve, great to talk to you. And the news that you're bringing us in the first quarter of next year, I'm in on the secret, but I can't say anything about it. (laughs) You've really cracked a big code of funding for entrepreneurs around the world with sheer collaboration with massively big global organizations. But I can't say anything. I can't say anything about it. I can only tease here. (laughs) And Kevin, that's great news about the collaboration across the border between you and David Berg, who, in fairness, is actually a born Canadian and was able to look at the United States totally differently because he came out of a national system into a country that doesn't have national systems, and he was able to see all sorts of possibilities just simply because he had a different model. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. He's a pleasure to deal with, that's for sure. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Thank Dan. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Dan.